Welcome to your shelf. Or mine. I'm Becky Standle, Youth Services Librarian at the Longview Public Library. And I'm Austin Brigden, Administrative Assistant at the Longview Public Library. Welcome to the podcast, Austin. Thank you. So, you were on our live show back in November 2019, about 20 years ago. That's right. And... um. That had a really different format than we usually do, so we didn't get a chance to, like, really introduce you or talk about uh, the stuff that you do at the library back right. then. Right. But it I is re- different now. You remember? Yeah, I remember. There was a little moment on stage when you guys all couldn't remember exactly what I was at the library. <laughs> yeah, I don't even think we ever came to a conclusion. No. It was just, like, he works here. That's what you said, yes. So could you tell us about your time at the library, what you do, and how long have you been with us? Yeah, I'm hard to categorize, I guess. Um, I started, let's see, about a year and a half ago um, as a page, so doing book drop, um, and then eventually doing some desk. Um, And then about six months ago, I became, no, administrative assistant. It's August now. Is it more than six months? It's been Seven eight, months. It's been eight months. Well, I started in January, so. And it's, August, yeah. So that's seven months, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, we've, we've, it's falling apart now. The other day, I, um, when I was leaving a message for somebody, I said, um, you know, this is Becky. Today's, you know, March 27th. Whoa. And it, was, it was July. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. So anyway, I became an administrative assistant. So I do administrative stuff like pay the bills and building things and all that. General assistant to Chris, the director. Um, And then I also uh, run the seed library program. And I read poetry sometimes. Yeah, that was a great. I really enjoyed doing that. And it was it's been a really wonderful to see the response I've had people. Uh, reach out to me and I've had people, you know, flag me down out in public. But it was really great for me too in those early days of the pandemic when things were so strange to have that every day uh, to do. So I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to doing things every poetry month in April. Yeah, we had talked about before, uh, you know, the library closed and everything changed um, about having you come on the podcast. For April, and of course, that didn't yeah. end up working, but, um, I ended up reading a lot more poems than I would have on the podcast. Yeah, you're like, yeah, I'll just come on the podcast. I'll read a couple of poems. And, and talk you were about like, some- why don't you read a poem every day? <laughs> and then I, of course, got carried away and read like multiple poems every day. <laughs> uh, and then we had our staff poem. Yes, and then our staff poem. That was fun. So we'll we'll do something again next year, but then... I don't think you have to wait until, you know, National Poetry Month or any national oh, month no. of anything to um, to celebrate 
or to read poems. So Absolutely. No, I actually, um, I'm hoping to do some poems in the garden, uh, not every day, but uh, every so often through the rest of summer and fall. So keep a lookout for those. Some corn poems. You know, actually what I was thinking would be fun would be to do like um, scary stories from the corn. There's something really scary about corn to me. Yeah. Did you see the way I burst out of that corn on that video? Yeah. It was I scary. Think like I was thinking like last fall, and I don't even I grow like you know six corns in mm-hmm. my in my garden, but like I was, I remember being out in my yard and keep kept thinking that there was like somebody there, but it was the corn. <laughs> Just being yeah. creepy. There's something yeah. about corn. It's always the corn. Um. Yeah. So if folks don't know, I guess we should say that, too, that we have a library garden patch that's, mm-hmm. that's been also really rewarding and is doing really well. Um, we've got all kinds of interesting things in there that we're growing in the hopes of uh, harvesting seed that then can go out in the seed library program uh, in the spring. So we've got all kinds of interesting things. Right. So we're growing popcorn. Yep, we've got a black popcorn, so it's beautiful for decorating, you know, like on the cob. Then it pops as well. Um, and we've got some emmer wheat. People might know that better as farro. People eat it as a whole grain, but you can also, you know, use it in bread baking. So we're hoping to make some bread out of our garden patch. What else do we have? We have flowers. Tomatoes. Tomatoes, yeah. Some of those tomatoes are as tall as the corn. Mm-hmm, Yeah. And a hill of squash. Growing some sort of squash. Yeah. Green beans. Yeah. The uh, carrots, but like those never got thinned. Still haven't been thinned. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. 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 No comment. No comment. It's not too late. It isn't too late. There's plenty of time. Yeah. The squash are pretty cool, too. Not that you want to talk about squash for the full. I love talking about squash. All right. All right. It's a little acorn-type squash that actually comes from the Gill Brothers Seed Company, which was, a up until the 60s, a seed company um, centered in Portland, Oregon, grew before seed companies became big national companies. You had regional seed companies, and they grew with our region in mind. So a few of their old varieties are still around, and we're growing one of them in our garden. Have you eaten that kind of squash before? I have not. No, I never have. I've heard good reports. Good. Well, we'll have to have it, and then we'll be able to harvest those seeds for planting. Yeah, because our garden is so isolated that it's very easy to save seeds. So, um, yeah, maybe we can eat it on the podcast. <laughs> I think it'd probably be better to make, like, a little, <laughs> like, Instagram video of us eating the squash. We could do I, that, too. I have so much squash in my backyard. I think I talked about it on the podcast last time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Lots Your of squash. Patch. Um, so, Austin, tell us a little bit about, like, the kinds of stuff you like to read. Obviously, poetry is big to you. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. What else? you have a uh, favorite, favorite book? <laughs> I don't have a favorite book. I read a lot of nonfiction, creative nonfiction, but some fiction, too, and a lot of poetry. Give us, like, a couple <laughs> favorites, then. Okay. Um, let's see. I love Cannery Row, that weird little novel by John Steinbeck. I love all the like weird Steinbeck novels. Um, so I love that. About, 
sang back last week. Well, did I did you really? Uh, um, oh, right. The red. Uh, did. What's that book called? The Red Pony. <sighs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I like uh, Cannery Row, and Doc is one of my favorite characters in fiction. He's the marine biologist, very fastidious, but also very funny. Drinks a beer milkshake. Um, read the book. <laughs> what is your favorite movie? <laughs> what? I didn't. I wasn't prepared for this. That's oh gosh. Huh? You sent me a false list of questions. Um, no, I didn't. It was. I said I would probably ask you about your favorite stuff. Okay. I don't know. I'll have to look back and check the record. Um, I really like Goodwill Hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like a movie called. Um, Beginners. Um, I think Mike Mills directed that. I really like that movie a Christopher lot. Christopher Plummer is in that. It's really, really beautiful. Is it Ewan McGregor? Ewan McGregor and uh, Christopher Plummer. Mm-hmm. It's sort of based, it's autobiographical. Mike Mills. And, you know, his, um, so it's about this man. And he has this little dog. But the main part of the movie is not about the little dog, it's about his father who comes out. And it seems like I've gotten this from other things about people whose parents come out, you know, is that there's an aspect of his dad, him, him not really having known his dad, you know, sort of the, the dad he knew was a mm-hmm. facade. So he get he like finally gets to know him because he was kind of like aloof. Yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah, I recommend it. Um, What about television? I've not really been watching anything new lately. I fell into a long Walking Dead hole. So that's been sort of the, like, sound TV soundtrack to the pandemic for me, which is appropriate, I guess. Um, zombies. Zombies, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. What have you been watching? I've been watching uh, Frasier. Mm-hmm. I started watching Frasier again, um, which is fun. I had been, I don't. I've been watching it like in January when I was doing this like needle felted unicorn um, <laughs> that Jennifer got me for Christmas. Okay. And then I stopped and then um, I started watching it again. And it's funny. I watched a lot of Frasier when I was a kid because it was on syndication. Um, mm-hmm. But I can't say I really, I mean, and I, I enjoyed it at the time, but definitely watching it now as an adult, like it's funnier. It's, it's not a, it's not a show for children. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. I always heard it that it that it was. <laughs> Your kids. Um, <laughs> I actually watch Frasier. I've been watching. Actually, I did get. I got like a subscription to BritBox and was watching a lot of British television. Uh, Monty Dawn, um, Gardner's World. Um, if people haven't haven't seen that, that's pretty great. Um, sometimes some of his specials are on Netflix or other streaming services, variously and unpredictably. Yeah. Uh, but uh, does really good work. Very encouraging, very energizing to watch. Very. Uh, I know you and I have talked about this, but Monty Don, he's, I should say, this longtime BBC presenter, um, has a very, like, joyful, non- perfectionist attitude toward mm-hmm. toward um, gardening and horticulture. So, um, so I've been watching that and then watching this little 90s drama set in a an Irish village. <laughs> and it's about a priest 
and it's called Valley Kiss Angel. Um, it's very good. Very, very charming. Um, what other, what other stuff have you been doing through the pandemic besides watching zombie shows? <laughs> um, well, I've been tending my growing, alarmingly growing collection of house plants. Mm. Uh, I was not a house plant person until I started buying them. Now I am. What else? Gardening, reading, trying to read more. Um, okay, so I have some fun would-you-rather questions for you. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? No, but go ahead. There, I'm, I'm going to go easy on you. <laughs> okay. Would you rather have mm-hmm. all traffic lights you approach be green or never have to stand in line again? I think I would rather have the lights be green. I don't mind standing in lines that much. I get a lot of thinking done. What about you? I think, yeah, the traffic one. I find that more aggravating. (laughs) Red lights. Yeah. I obey them, but. Would you rather give up all drinks except for water Mm. or give up eating anything that was cooked in an oven? That's a weird would you rather. Where do you get these? I don't Um, know. Conversationstartersworld.com. I think I would rather give up all things cooked in ovens. (laughs) That's that's a hard question. Like, then you could never drink coffee again. Oh, I I wasn't even thinking about coffee. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. Like, would you rather never have coffee again or never have a cookie again? I can make cookies in, like, a toaster oven. Hey, that sounds like cheating. <laughs> oh, anything with oven in the name. Maybe I can make a stove, not stove top cookies, like, on a in a frying pan. <laughs> you could, like, a snow, stove top cookie would be, like, a, like a no-bake. I'll have to make, like, a, a I'll, I'll make cakes in mugs. Have you seen that in your microwave? Like, you mix yeah, up I've things. I've done that. Yeah, that, that's what I'll do. It's no, it's not very good. But I think you could make, you could do like how you cook like a pizza on a barbecue. You could probably make cookies that way. Grilled. Well, it's not (laughs) grilled. Anyways, I don't know anything about. It essentially makes it it like an oven, but the word oven isn't in there. Could you use a Dutch Dutch oven? Uh. Well, if oven can't be in there, that's pretty restrictive. <laughs> or are you talking about like a stove? Right. Like a, I don't know. I, I think it's really question. important that we get to the bottom of this. <laughs> Would you rather um, be able to see 10 minutes into your own future or 10 minutes into the future of anyone but yourself? Mm. Maybe 10 minutes somebody else, because in 10 minutes I'll be on this podcast still. So I'd look into somebody else. <laughs> somebody else's future. Somebody with a more uncertain 10 minutes ahead of them. But it'd be like always, not just at this moment. Like a superpower you would have. Uh, for the next, to see what the next 10 minutes holds? Yeah. Wow. Become like a day trader or something. Um, Let's see. Yeah. Still other people. I think I'd pick other people, too. Um, let's see. Let's do one more. Okay. I like this one. Are you ready? Sure. 
Would you rather be forced to dance every time you heard music or be forced to sing along to any song you heard? Definitely the dancing. You'd pick dancing? Oh, yeah. Huh. All right. Interesting. I think I'd pick the singing. Well, that makes sense. Dance every time you heard music. Yep, I'd rather dance. Okay. It's funny because I guess you you refuse to dance or sing. I don't refuse to dance or sing, but uh, I'm more confident in my dancing than my singing. Okay. It is it is what it is, you know. Ooh, okay. I know I said that that one was the last one, but I'm gonna do um, this one. Okay. This will be the last one. Would you rather five percent of the population have telepathy? Or 5% of the population have telekinesis. You don't get to have it. It'd be 5%, not you. Oh. Hmm. So, telepathy. Oh, telekinesis, moving stuff, and telepathies. Um, oh, man, that's hard. Telepathy. You'd pick telepathy? Yeah, because if people could move stuff around with their minds, they could do a lot of damage. But then they could read your mind. Only 5% of them. I'd rather have people move stuff with their mind than have anybody be able to, like, read my mind. Oh, that's a good point. Maybe I'll change my answer. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. That's what I like to hear. It's like like you can read my mind. That's okay. (laughs) Okay. Oh, boy. So the category uh, that you, you wanted to talk about today that you chose... (laughs) <laughs> was from the reading challenge um, a book about a pioneering woman. Indeed. And this is a fun category, I think, because you can do like, you can take it lots of different ways. And I know, like, I took it a totally different direction than you did, um, which is going to be fun. I picked a novel called mm-hmm. Rodham by Curtis Sittenfeld. And I think I'd mentioned this to, like, Elizabeth, like, in May, because it came out, and she's one of my favorite, like, adult novelists, and so I was excited about the book, and I started listening to it, because I had a, uh <clears throat> advanced listening copy from Libro FM, um, but then I just read the book book instead. Anyways, so I picked a novel about a real person, but it's, like, a speculative novel about her life, and you picked... I picked two books because I'm indecisive, um, and both of mine are nonfiction, um, very different kinds of nonfiction, very, very different. I picked Yellow Bird by Sierra Crane Murdoch, the subtitle Oil, Murder, and a Woman's Search for Justice in Indian Country, and then I picked My Autobiography of Carson McCullers by Jen Chapland, which is just out from Tin House down in Portland. Why don't we start with your book? Tell me about. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, so I'll talk about um, Yellow Bird first because I read okay. it first. We had it in the library at the time, but actually how I came across it was I was listening to This American Life, um, and they did a segment about the woman who's at the center of the book, um, Lissa Yellow Bird, um, native woman from a few different tribes in North Dakota, the Fort Berthold um, Indian Reservation. And she 
had some trouble with addiction, uh, domestic violence, different things, and was in prison for a while. Um, but when she got out and was sort of rebuilding her life, she fell into searching for missing persons on the reservation. One in particular, but then eventually it spread to, you know, many because, you know, that's a, that's a real crisis in Indian country or particularly, um, particularly women who are missing, but, um, it's a mix of racism, you know, and, lot of confusion around jurisdiction so that these cases mm-hmm. tend to just not get the attention anyway so she started um looking into these cases anyway the this american life piece was about her searching for her niece and i was thinking we could put that in show notes um mm-hmm. but uh this like a link to the the link to that story it's it's really really moving but i immediately wanted to get the book because they had mentioned that the journalist who does the radio piece followed her around uh, Sierra Crane Murdoch. She was in Colorado. No, wasn't Colorado. She's for a Colorado paper, but she was in the Dakotas doing, um, coverage of the oil boom, which is sort of another subject of the book. Sort of the book is about Lissa Yellowbird and her search in particular for this white oil rig worker, Christopher Clark. But the oil boom is sort of another subject of the book. This is a very mixed situation for the tribes. A lot of money flowing around, but with all that money comes, you know, crime and exacerbates issues that were already there uh, in the tribe and in its governance and everything. But it's it's just really, really beautifully written, too, which... I'm very picky about nonfiction books. I feel like there are so many nonfiction books that come out every year. Um, and I, even if I uh, think that the premise is exciting or I'm interested, the writing just won't be there. And uh, I find that a lot. And this is one of those books where, you know, it it's just beautifully lyrically written without sacrificing any rigor of reporting. And Lissa Yellowbird is just a fascinating fascinating character troubled kind of charismatic character so is the is the is the book written like a true crime style well you know it is and it isn't i mean parts of it are obviously it follows this case and eventually you know she became obsessed with that case and it eventually has grown now to she searches for all kinds of people um because people heard about her and so they're bringing it to her because law enforcement you know hasn't been able to get them anywhere um or is unwilling to and so they she has helped in a lot of different cases but it also spends a lot of time talking about her life and then also the life of uh the tribes on the fort Berthold indian reservation because the tribes are sort of there's sort of multiple traumas there's there's sort of the traumas we all know about that tribes all over the country went through. But there was also in, I believe, the 40s, a relocation. Um, they flooded a bunch of the towns that tribe had for a dam and had to relocate everybody. So there's that trauma sort of in the background. And so you, you hear about how that affected everybody and how it affected her family. And then there's the oil boom, which is happening at the time of the book. What's the time period of the book? Oof, uh, mid-teen, like 2012, 13, 14, 15 oh, okay. area. 
I'm not sure exactly when the oil boom tapered off, but um, sort of that's that's something I love about this book too. Is it's it's not a nonfiction book that's simple at all. It ends up being about a bunch of different things and sort of capturing the complex mess of human affairs, you know, in this particular world. So you read this book and you feel like you've gotten this whole world of associations and experience because it ends up being about her tribe. It also ends up being about um, intergenerational trauma in a very interesting way. You know, there's a few different characters in the book who are interested in epigenetics and stuff. Um, and so it ends up being a very poignant illustration of that, the way generations of a family and a tribe fail to or succeed in moving forward with everything they're carrying. And it's just a beautiful book. Um, but yeah, if, if you're a fan of true crime, it's going to satisfy, you know, some of those things, but take it further. I think, I think it expands that genre, um, you know, because Lord knows there's a lot of true there's a little bit of a true crime industrial complex, you know, churning out uninteresting sure. true crime. This is not that. Um, so I think it, it, it and, and it's just plain good writing. And that's what I love about something nonfiction is if it's written well enough, I don't have to have like a pre-existing condition in or interest in the uh, uh, pre-existing condition, a pre-existing interest <laughs> in the subject. You know, uh-huh. if you're a good enough writer, you'll take me there. So that's Yellowbird, Oil, Murder, and a Woman's Search for Justice in Indian Country. Um, and then the other book is very, very different kind of a book, less traditional piece of nonfiction. Um, and it's called My Autobiography of Carson McCullers by Jen Shapland. Um, and some listeners might know Carson McCullers, uh, probably most well known for her novel, uh, the Heart is a Lonely Hunter, she wrote when she was 23, or published when she was 23. She was sort of a wonderkind and literary superstar, at least early, you know, in her life. Um, you know, people made movies. There was a movie with Marlon Brando and Elizabeth Taylor. She was also struggled with a lot of illness. She, they get into this in the book, you know, the theories. She, she struggled a lot of, with a misdiagnosis and dismissal, um, I think, as a woman. A lot of people tried to tell her things were in her head. But one theory is that, she, you know, she had rheumatic fever. And then the undisputed part is that she had a series of strokes that um, each one was more damaging than the one before. And so she died quite young, 1967. But uh, so Jen Shapland was is trained as an archivist. And she was an intern at the University of Texas Austin's Harry Ransom Center which is sort of one of the most prestigious university archives in the country. Um, there's this whole world of competitive university archives. And uh, that's another thing I'd love to put in the show notes. Um, mm-hmm. There's an article by DT Max about that world of competitive archives. But anyway, she um, was an intern there and she was working uh, in the personal effects collection which is there, they literally have like a floor of this place where uh, if it's, you know, they have Ernest Hemingway's desk and his ashtray and they have mm-hmm. a bunch of Carson McCullers' clothes and like, and there there are people working, you know, like cataloging all this stuff. It's fascinating. And so that's, 
that's a good segue into why this book is so interesting is it's not a traditional biography. And I love, I love a biography that doesn't try to be a traditional biography because, you know, just with regular nonfiction, there are biographies upon biographies churned out every year mm-hmm. that, you know, lay out the fa- lay out facts and 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 pretend to be authoritative and um, don't do much with the writing, you know, and are forgettable. Um, <laughs> there really <Harsh>. are. <laughs> I love somebody who comes in and allows into their work the process the messiness of the process, the limitations of the project of biography, mm-hmm. which is basically sorting through the detritus of somebody's life, you know, and she de- and, and admits the personal. Jen Chaplin is a character in this. There are just these wonderful passages about her working in the personal effects collection. She goes and lives in one of in Carson McCullers's childhood home for a while. She soaks in her bathtub She's awkwardly sort of there when people come to have like events at the Carson McCullers Center. She's like living there as an artist in residence. It's really bizarre. She's invited to have a piece of cake with Carson McCullers face on it. It's just like a lot of weird things happen. Was Uh, she living there writing this book? Yes. She was working on this book. She was researching this book. Um, And the thing, the other thing that's important about it is it's really a book about erasure particularly queer erasure in history because Carson McCullers was involved in lots of queer community uh, in that, you know, she was friends with um, Tennessee Williams and Janet Flanner and a bunch of other people who are in this sort of group. And she had relationships with women, but that's largely been sort of uh, excised from the her story, her narrative. And Jen Chaplin come, runs into that again and again, people being like, pushing back at her, being like, no, don't talk about that. No, 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 no. They were just special friends. That was just a crush. You know, it was just, mm-hmm. a, you know, pass it, you know, and and the crazy thing is that the uh, the what's left of, you know, the record really doesn't show that. Carson McCullers was pretty open. Um, and, and that's why I chose this book, too, as a pioneering woman. She talks a lot about how progressive uh, she was. In terms of writing about openly gay characters, writing about race, writing about disability um, in a way that I don't know that she gets recognized for enough. Um, But sort of I think the occasion for writing the book was that these transcripts of therapy sessions and these letters became public after this woman had died who was, you know, if you you believe Jen Chaplin, you know, was... uh, in a relationship with her. There are people who will dispute that, but that's the occasion for the book is those things became public. And Jen Chaplin, you know, struggles with chronic illness, you know, too. She has a lot of affinities with Carson McCullers. There's just a really fascinating, bold, creative book and very beautiful, just very beautiful. It's written in these little passages, you know, just a succession of little of sort of smaller passages and some of them quite short, but um, it sort of weaves together this picture of Carson McCullers because Carson McCullers actually tried to write an autobiography. There were a couple attempts and those therapy transcripts, it was kind of a non-traditional situation where she wanted to go to therapy, but also get all the transcripts so she could write an autobiography, which, you know, her therapist wasn't yeah. really comfortable with, but 
she didn't end up she got the tapes and were like oh this is garbage so then she tried again and it wasn't finished at the time of her death so she sort of takes off on that project too of like not pretending to write the autobiography Carson McCullers would have written, not pretending to write the, you know, authoritative biography that people have written before, but making an autobiography, you know. Everybody's everybody who set out to write a a book about Carson McCullers would have written a different book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and she writes very much with that recognition. Very nice. Um I I do really like those kinds of stories where the the author like lets themselves be a part of the the book. I know I keep pressuring you to read this um graphic nonfiction called Grass, which is translated mm. from Korean and it's about um this it's a it's about this woman who was kidnapped actually multiple times right. as a young as a young girl and then in her early teens eventually put into sex slavery by the Japanese as a comfort woman and um, she was I want to say like only 17 or something when the war ended and she is still alive and so she's told this uh, writer and artist you know her life story so she could write this book and um, it's just it's very well done the art style is really like sketch sketchy I guess she talks about how she had never had a happy day in her entire life. And now she's in like her nineties. Um, mm. But, you know, like partway through the book, like the author kind of enters the story and she's, she's like, you know, talking about having conversations with this woman and the, the, like the, the idea of if it's selfish of her to like make her like relive right. this trauma just so she can write a book about it. And I think Absolutely. that's like a really interesting discussion. It's a really Great book. When I voted in the Eisners this year, I voted for that one. And like every category was nominated in, but I don't think it was. Uh, I think those, I, that's one of the things in nonfiction that's really exciting to me is the possibilities of going beyond mm-hmm. having those sort of struggling in that way with the ethics, recognizing the limitations, um, allowing those things to be part of the book because those things are interesting. Allowing the process, allowing all the weird uh, experiences of trying to put things together to be part of the book. You can turn sort of your failures, too, or your hesitations into a part of, make the book all the more powerful that way, I think. And this, yeah, the times where you can just, like, kind of let something be, like, ambiguous or uncertain. Absolutely. I don't know if. You know, I don't know what all the books of hers we have in the library, but it's very different than what um, Jen Chaplin's doing, but it's similar in its ways. Janet Malcolm, the writer Janet Malcolm, I think works in that vein, too. She's written, she wrote an autobiography, or a biography of uh, Gertrude Stein um, and Alice. What's her last Tol- name? Tolkis. Yes, a dual biography. She's mm-hmm. played with the form a bunch. She wrote about Sylvia Plath. Um, she wrote a famous book called The Journalist and the Murderer, where she wrote about a journalist writing about a murderer. And so it creates all these ethics things. And she's very open about, bitterly, sharply open about uh, <laughs> uh, the limitations of journalism and whatever she puts her hands on. She sort of like decides to do it slant, decides to, you know, interrogate the project. But I and, you know, we can put that in show notes too, Janet Malcolm. But uh 
another book that I think I think we have too that is interesting alongside Chaplin's book is um, Carmen Maria Machado's recent memoir in, in the, the Dream House. House. Yeah. Yeah, we have. It to. also deals with you know the attempt to like rebuild and recreate queer history, the queer archive or lack thereof, um, setting certain things straight. You know, I think the I, you, I'm seeing groups of books all coming out now around those sort of ideas. Mm-hmm. So. What about your book? Uh, my book is very different than your books. <laughs> um, like I said before, it's a novel. Um, and it imagines what Hillary Rodham Clinton's life would have been like if she hadn't married Bill. And it is interesting. So she's written, um, the author's written about like a first lady before she wrote American Wife, which is based on the life of Laura Bush. And, but it's more fictionalized. She has like a different name in the novel. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it is that that's like, there's so m- much less known about Laura Bush, her life as like as a, as a young oh, person. Sure. And so, um, she just was able to fictionalize a lot more of that and, with this one, she decided, like, you know, to use real names and places, to use, like, actual, like, she read all of Hillary Clinton's, I think she's written three mm. um, biographies, um, political biographies, and kind of used the things that she wrote in there and pulled from, like, actual speeches and stuff that people have given and even in the in the part of the book where she's like recreating like an alternate timeline, she mm-hmm. pulls some of the stuff that actually happened and sticks it in there in different ways, which I think is pretty fun. But the book starts um, in the early 70s when she was in law school at Yale. And um, the book is in two parts. So the first part is is her meeting Bill Clinton and like falling in love with him. And they are together for, I think five years. And, um, that, that part is all mostly based on like what actually happened in her life. And it's weird sometimes. And it feels like I read a review that called it icky. It feels a little icky sometimes. Um, (laughs) It's like, oh, like, I don't need to know these, like, you're speculating on her, like, intimate thoughts about her, like, partner or whatever, um, because they're, like, real people. Sure. It does feel weird sometimes, but it's also really interesting, and I think, like, uh, Curtis Sittenfeld, the author, is really good in, in all of her books about, like, writing women who are, um, like, really practical and also really, like, self-aware, mm-hmm. or in a ways that they are... Um, reflecting on their younger lives from like a older, more like a self-aware place. Mm-hmm. Um, because like this book is in first person and she is talking back on her life from whatever, the 2017 or 2018. Okay. And she does kind of have little anecdotes about like her being in grade school or middle school or high school and um, talks about like her boyfriends and what was so, attractive to her 
about um, Bill Clinton and that he was attracted to her both physically and like attracted to her intellect, which she hadn't found in in the other relationships before. But ultimately, so in the book, she's so she's she's a year ahead of him in law school and he ends up going with her um, like after the first year that they are dating to San Francisco, where she is working uh, for the summer and he has an affair with her boss's daughter that really makes her like give pause about like what everything is like what's going on with them. But mm-hmm. ultimately she decides to stay with him for several more years. Mm. And after law school and, and working for a little bit, um, moves to Arkansas to be with him while he runs for, mm. uh, governor. No, it's before oh. he ran for governor when he ran for Congress oh. And, oh. and lost. Mm. And then she uh, is approached. I'm just going to spoil this whole video. <laughs> so anyways, he has an unsuccessful run for Congress and she, um, you know, is there supporting him. She's working at the university and Right before the election, she's approached in like a grocery store parking lot by this woman who said that I she had worked on his campaign and the campaign headquarters one evening when they were like alone, he raped her. Mm. And she's like, I'm not going to be like pressing charges or going to anybody about this because I can't see that it would be beneficial to me in any way. But I thought that you would want to know. And so she doesn't say anything to Bill about it. She talks to like the guy who's like running his campaign and they decide, like, not to say anything to him because it's, you know, so close to the election. And she doesn't – in her mind, she she can't decide if she believes her or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like, several months pass, and she decides that she can't stay with him and leaves. And he also is like, I'm not going to be, like, good for your career she suggests that he like run for attorney general and ultimately she like moves back to Chicago, which is where she grew up. And then, and that's kind of like the end of the first part of the book. Mm. And then, um, and then it jumps forward to like the early nineties. Um, and she talks like right at the end of that first section was like how she felt at that moment that her life could have gone either way. Like it would have been just as easy for her to stay as it would have been for her to leave. So it makes that big jumps to the 90s where she's teaching in Chicago and um, he announces that he's going to be running for president and he has this other wife and these other children and she decides that or she's asked to um, consider running for Senate after the confirmation of Clarence Thomas because their senator had voted Um Mm. for his confirmation Mm -hmm. so and she does that and she wins and has like a different obviously career trajectory she remains like single the way that she enters the race and wins ends up being like a kind of a a point of contention in her relationships and stuff because um she ran against carol mosley braun who was like in real life the person who won and became like the first black woman to be yeah um a senator and so it was like her 
yeah, so it's interesting. And, like, later on in the book, she really reflects on how, like, that really wasn't true to her professed values at the time, but she just kind of ignored it, it because, you know. Did Does he, Bill become president? So he ends up dropping out of the election. Oh. Um, because there's, like, a scandal and they're not able to recover from it, like him and the woman he married. And so he drops out of the presidential race and then out of politics altogether, um, moves to the West coast and becomes like a, like a tech millionaire. Hmm. That's not what I expect. <laughs> yeah. So he makes all this money. He has like multiple wives and she is in, is a Senator from Illinois for years and years. Um, she runs for president in Oh four. And then, oh, and it also changes the timeline. So Bill Clinton was never president. So who was oh, president yeah. so that instead? Everything. Oh, so I think Bush was reelected mm-hmm. in this alternate timeline. And then, gosh, who was it? Hold on. Let me look. Because there's like a little thing where it's like, this is what happens in this alternate history. And it doesn't really get into like what the national politics look like because it's really just about her life and what her life would have been like without Bill Clinton to like – you know, and the, the, the theme of the book is really like, he really messed up her prospects. <laughs> like she put her whole career on the back burner for his and was never able to, mm. to like kind of step out of his shadow and that his personal failings were too much for a political life or a public life. Anyways, so in 1996, Jerry Brown was the president, and then John McCain in 2000 and 2004. Jerry Brown was the president? Yeah, and it never okay. gets into it. doesn't it. get into how that happened, huh? It doesn't get into it. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's okay. Um, and then uh, it keeps the Obama-Biden uh, for oh. 08 and 12. That's interesting because... Never mind. I'm not going to get into that. I mean, it is interesting. It's and interesting because I don't know that Obama would, you know, it's like there's theories around, you know, mm-hmm. you wouldn't necessarily have Obama winning if you hadn't had a president like George W. Bush. So yeah. it, one thing leads to another, you know, anyway. And it also makes it interesting, like the the way that it deals with their relationship, which is not a lot. But it, she does talk about like her plan was like that she would run in 04 as like a soft, like, you know, mm-hmm. soft run and then like really go for it later. And then he showed up on the scene. Um, she had thought before that she might have a chance like at a vice presidential, you know, mm-hmm. run, except for when he got it because they are from the same state in this alternate history. Like mm-hmm. no way would that have worked. Mm-hmm. But it's right. interesting that they made her a senator from like the the state that he was also. What from. a an ambitious, what an ambitious like I can't imagine trying to write that. So what she never becomes. Project. Yeah, so she never becomes like Secretary of State. Right. She just runs again, and so I was like, I had like thoughts on how the story would be going, but she took like a lot of different choices where I think it was kind of more fun and interesting, and what ends up happening is when she runs in 16, the person who runs against her is Bill Clinton. 
I wondered if there would be some setup mm-hmm. of them confronting in public life. Yeah. Yeah. So he reenters politics to run against her for um, the Democratic nomination. And they like, like combines a little bit of the conflicts that she had against Trump, but also with Bernie Sanders too, where he's kind of like a little bit of each of those things. Mm, interesting. Um, and Donald Trump is in this book, but he never runs for president mm. um, and ends up endorsing Hillary, but in like a way that's it's kind of funny. I don't know, like in a way that doesn't change kind of like the kinds of things that he was saying or doing, you know, in 15 when he was running. Uh-huh. Um, he just kind of uses that for her instead of for himself. Oh, interesting. And in the end, she ends up. Um, getting the nomination, I forget who she runs against. I think it's Jeb mm-hmm. Bush. And, uh, but that's like, she gets the nomination and, and then essentially the book is over. Like, the primary was kind of like the bigger part of the, the story mm. and then she's elected president and then like the book is over. Right. Um, but I really liked it. I, I think it's really interesting and I haven't read any of like Hillary Clinton's books, but I read reviews that say that they felt like that she got her voice really right. And I, and I think like the, the way that it kind of plays with the idea of her like singleness, um, mm-hmm. cause she never marries, she never has kids. Um, and her having like chosen like a political life, like, and not anything else was like a way that, like the American people were like okay with her. Mm. Anyways, I liked it. It did get pretty mixed reviews. I was reading, um, like whoever reviewed it for NPR didn't like it. And there are other things. Someone was complaining that they thought that she was more boring in, in this book that her, like a lot of the things that made her like a really complicated politician are kind of just kind of washed over. Mm. Um, because That's she doesn't have to deal with like the crime bill stuff that she did in the nineties, like the super predator comments. There sure. was no uh, Iraq war. So nothing to like vote over. Oh yeah. Well, and, I mean, if there's no bill, there's no transformation there's, of Hillary Clinton either. Right. Right. There's none of that stuff, which is like the point of the book <laughs> is, but do you say they don't get it? She doesn't get into her politics, like her specific politics that much. Like, is she a progressive politician if she's not a, um, married to Bill Clinton? I mean, her politics are pretty much the same. That's interesting. Cause she still, like, does, you know, she's still interested in, like, women's issues, especially sure. rounding, like, access to healthcare and stuff like that. Um, Childcare. Yeah. Which is all stuff that she worked at while she was in law school, like, before. She got involved with him. Wow. Yeah, it's interesting. I like that kind of like speculative type of thing. And I think like, like I would recommend this book and it doesn't get to like, because it focuses like first on her like relationship with Bill when they were young and then um, her deciding to run for Senate and then her run for the president is just like kind of three pretty distinct time periods with occasional little like stories uh, or anecdotes from other things. It doesn't try to like tell the whole arc of mm-hmm. her life, which would have been an even longer book. <laughs> um, 
or to like try to say like, oh, her politics are going to be different in this way. Doesn't analyze it to that level of, Mm-mm. yeah, yeah. Because no. you could so. go crazy. You really could. Um, what an interesting thing to try to do, though. You know, uh-huh. like, can you imagine what that must have been like writing about real people that way? And then if you're Hillary Clinton, like, <laughs> what if you're a Kurt- Curtis Sittenfeld fan and you think, oh, she's got a new book out. And oh, it's, it's like, about me. Yeah. And I was interested, <laughs> too, because she doesn't say anything. I mean, maybe I'll look up and see what kind of inter- interviews she's given um, to promote this book, because like in her acknowledgments, she talks about like, oh, I'm really indebted to like all of these books that I read, which are like you know, Hillary's books <laughs> and oh, some yeah. other books about, um, you know, politics and, and stuff, but she doesn't talk about sometimes, you know, authors write a really nice author's note. That's like, this is why I thought of writing this. And, yeah. um, but I mean, she put a picture of Hillary Rodham, like on the cover. And I don't think you could just do that. Like an there actual must've... picture of her. Yeah. Like, um, there must've been some, Somewhere where someone are there. said it was okay. I don't know. It's interesting. That is interesting. I can't think of another instance where, like, a living, you know, like, a living person had, like, a novel written about them where it was just, like, a totally undisguised. Can you? Oh, not, not a living person. Right. Oh. Plenty of dead people, but. Sure, you know, yeah. Not. not I can't really. I mean, yeah, the only, yeah, the only things are like disguised. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. I didn't ever read it, but like Primary Colors, this book in the 90s mm-hmm. that was kind of about Bill Clinton and stuff. But of course it was all, dis- you know, not yeah. open about them. Right, and the closest I could think of was her other book about Laura Bush, but that was, I mean, if she was openly like, this is based off of her, but, um, you know. Yeah, it's interesting to me, too, because Hillary Clinton, maybe this is what makes it possible, is that Hillary Clinton is such a so analyzed, so looked Mm -hmm. at, so scrutinized, so known, or maybe not known, but, you know. Right, uh, there's like a long public record of her life. Yeah, which I think those kind of people are fascinating anyway. Like, what does that do to a person to be... So relentlessly gazed upon mm-hmm. and um, judged that you're, you know, at a certain point, you're almost sort of just an avatar of something rather than a human being, you know, like in the eyes of people. Uh, I always think, like, what does that do? And then what kind of people, what kind of what there's always this back and forth of what does it do to you? And also what kind of person is able to make it to a certain level? Um, what mm-hmm. what kind of person do you have to be? What sort of reserves of, I don't know, adaptability or resilience or, you know, charisma or whatever do you have to have to become, to make it to that level? It's fascinating stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Bill Clinton really doesn't come off well in this book at all. Yeah. Um, it's interesting how she imagines him as like a Silicon Valley like tycoon. That was interesting to me. When you said that she was going to run for Senate, I kind of imagined she'd be a senator and he'd be the president and there'd be like, you know, collisions. But that's interesting. He's a very interesting figure, too, in many ways. Controversial. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I'd recommend it. Um, Maybe I'll read it. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Got a big stack. Stack mm-hmm. of books. Becky doesn't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> We've all got big stacks of books to read. Right. That's the consequence of being who we that, are. That's true. Okay. Well, what else? Is this I the have part this... of the podcast where we sing? No, uh, no. <laughs> I mean, if you want to. No, no, I'm just throwing it out there. Um, we've got, let's see, I had someone come through drive through the other day and say, I am, this is the last book that I'm checking out now for the reading challenge. So I'm almost done. Oh, nice. And I was like, whoa, I'm not almost done. Me neither. Hey, I've read, I've read, (laughs) well, you know, here's the trouble, Becky. Here's the trouble. Okay. I've read a bunch of books in a couple categories. (laughs) Yeah. I guess I'm predictable. You know, you could go through the list, though, and see, like, maybe this fits here or there. Oh, yeah. I'm good at shoehorning things into the list. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so next time Jennifer is going to be on with me and we are talking about I'm not sure yet. Um, is that a title? <laughs> I'm not sure yet is the name of the episode. No. Uh, so she's been reading <laughs> Stamped from the beginning. Okay. And she's like, oh, maybe I should just read Stamped, like the young version, because that's also a fit in a category, which would be a, a young adult nonfiction book. Mm-hmm. But it's also much shorter. Like Stamp from the Beginning is like a academic work. It's like six hundred. Oh, sure. Pages wow. Um, and Stamp from the Beginning is just like a conversational um, book with Jason Reynolds about you know like the history of racism in the, in the United States, and it's like the audiobook is only like four hours long. Oh, wow. that's very but doable. I, it is very doable, and he is so good at his job <laughs> um but he's like yeah. a really he's a really good reader and so we i think we were we might end up talking about those books um we'll see how far she is in stamp from the beginning maybe she'll want to do something else but she's like this is what i've been reading for weeks nice. uh, so so but drive through drive through is growing well i got real- to sit in with you yeah real pleasure um thank you wonderful to actually see patrons and Mm -hmm. yeah it is nice and i i've been having more regular interactions with patrons that i hadn't really before which is which is cool Mm -hmm. um yeah it's fun we're gonna have more staff um doing it too it's been mostly just jacob and i and then you stepped in a little bit Mm-hmm. Uh, to help out, but uh, we're going to get a few other people on board so I can take some time off. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the only reason why. Well, but yeah. It's my motivation. Sure. Um, <laughs> so, but what will I do with my time off? I don't know. I'm going to patch, I'm going to learn how to patch some drywall and then I'm going to do nice. it. Nice. Yeah. Some real skills give Paige your undivided attention for as long as you have off <laughs> yeah 
Well, I think I have to do that anyways. She's shooting her bone right here. But the reason I have to patch the drywall is because of age. Of age. Right. She, she was really into eating it when she was uh, young. Oh. She just chewed pretty big holes in the drywall in the laundry room. Like, she would lay in her dog bed and just, like, just, like, run her teeth against the wall until a hole opened. Mm-hmm. And then just chew around the edges. Um, I had read that that dogs like eating drywall because it's got something in it that bones also have. It's like they like the Whoa. drywall for the same reason that they like bones. That's, wow. I don't even know what to say about that. Um, calcium? Maybe. Anyways. It's a mess. And then I had like a little chest freezer in there that I had to load to my parents because there's broke and it exposed. It was hiding the biggest hole. And I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that. But there's three spots in there. So I'm going to do some home improvements on my time off. Nice. Um, uh, my best friend is having a baby in a couple of weeks, too. So hopefully I'll oh. get to see her. Wonderful. Yeah. It is weird. I was like, is it weird going to the hospital? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. But yeah, we're doing some, um, getting more people on drive through, which is good. Yeah. And, and uh, more people on the podcast. Absolutely. And I know we've, um, Daniel, who y'all heard last time, expanding our video capabilities. Mm-hmm. We have a new garden video up. We're going to be seeing those. Regular yeah, you now. guys are going to be filming. Um, you're going to become one of our personalities, our library personalities. That's what I hope. I mean, one can only hope. <laughs> oh, am I? I'm one of the library personalities. That's definitely true. Yes, the main <laughs> one, I would say. Um, Jacob's going to come on the podcast in September, and so is Angela. We haven't really finalized what we're talking about for those ones, but. In October, I'm really excited because we're going to be, I mean, Daniel and Jennifer and I and anyone else who wants to do it, if you want to do it, Austin, uh, we're going to be reading The Shining and possibly possibly also whatever the sequel is to that. Is Dr. Sleep the sequel? I have no earthly idea. Maybe. um, And then then talking about the, the books and the movies. That's Stephen King, right? That's correct. Have you read anything? anything I've, by Stephen King? I've never, I've never read any Stephen King. My grandfather read a ton of them, but I know I've never had. You really should. Our so last year, uh, for the fall time, Elizabeth and I, we read um, Pet Cemetery and watched the movies, right. and that that was really fun. I always really like the episodes where we like read the book or we read a book and watch the movie. I really like to, fun. I really like to tear into a movie, and complain about it. Um, but Daniel and I were talking about, like, I've read The Shining but never saw the movie, and he's seen the movie and never um, so read the book. The Shining, uh, Jack Nicholson, right? Yeah, yeah. So so if if the world is, is different, are you going to go up to Timberline Lodge then and uh, see where it was filmed? Well, it was uh, filmed, like, a couple of different places um, in Colorado also. Oh, okay. So maybe we could do like a bit of a tour. I don't think the world Colorado. <laughs> is different by 
No, uh, I don't either, but I'm throwing yeah. it out there. Yeah. Um, and then we're going to be talking about a book about voting later in October. Um, and then in November, we're going to oh, yeah. be rereading Jane Eyre. And yeah. uh, uh, it's going to be Austin and Becky and Daniel and Chris, I think. Chris dogs it. He's, yeah, he was like, he like perked up. And I was like, sounds like you're in on this. That's so all he, it took. Yeah. Reading Jane Eyre and Wide Sargasso Sea. Yeah, I'm very excited. It's yeah. been a long time since I read Jane Eyre. And I've never read Wide Sargasso Sea, so. But I've heard yeah. good things about Jean Reese. Mm-hmm. So. Maybe we could watch some of the movies, too. Um, they did, like, uh, one a few years ago. It's Michael Fassbender. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, I remember thinking that was okay movie. I think sometimes it's interesting... <laughs> Uh, you know, like, Mr. Rochester is, like, never described as being, like, particularly good-looking, or he's actually described as being, like, not very good-looking. I remember, yeah. Um, and, you know, Jane is very, like, plain, but of course they're not gonna, like, cast any actors who aren't Michael Fassbender to, like, play that role. Mm. Who would you cast as, as Mr. Rochester? Oh, boy. I'd have to look into it a bit, I think. I've got two in mind. Okay. Uh, Steve Buscemi and uh, and uh, Billy Bob Thornton, who you know I love. <laughs> yeah, that would be an honest performance. But I think, I mean, <laughs> I think they're, they're both too old at this point. Well, at this point, but, you know, this is just my mind. But couldn't you imagine it? Couldn't I you just? feel a little bit for uh, doctors who are like, we need someone kind of funny looking. Like, let's get this guy. <laughs> yeah. With that uh, niche. Yeah. 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 Well. Anyway, so I'm I'm pretty excited about about some stuff coming up in the podcast and, and library stuff. Our summer reading program uh, is almost over and um I'm going to take some time off, like I said, um, but we'll be back with like our Facebook live story times and some other programs uh, in September. Yeah, I feel yeah. like there's a, there's 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 lots of exciting stuff um, mm-hmm. where, you know, we miss all the patrons, but we're taking the time to cook up a lot of things. So um, there's a lot to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Lots to look forward to. Yeah. And we're going to be starting browse bags pretty soon. Yeah. We'll yeah. be telling them something else. Um, mm. But that's news people can look forward to. Absolutely. Reading about on the website and stuff. So. Yeah. 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 So what else do we got? Anything else? You can still get seeds. Uh, it's a great time to plant for fall. Um, there's a form on our website under the seed library tab. Um it's real easy. The friends of the Longview Public Library very generously paying to to bring seeds to the people. So um, check that out. You can get ten packets. What uh, should I get? Oh man. Um, well, you don't need any more pumpkin. It'd be way too late to do pumpkin. So, um, you should get some arugula. Do you like arugula? Uh huh. 
to get some arugula um, and lettuce. <laughs> peas. Do a late crop of peas. Do you have peas? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We got we got especially we got some real choice varieties of snow peas. Okay. Twice the rice. We got sweet horizon. You know, check it out. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, I think I had been thinking of peas. That yeah. would be good. They're a fun crop. Uh, what else do we got? Anything? Is uh, anything else happening? What's happening? Paige wants to go outside. Uh, I will be getting. I will be getting um, some of those those buttons. To teach my dogs how to talk. Oh, okay. So I can tell people about that. Nice. Yeah, that'll be good. If you're not <laughs> the leading personality of the Longview Public Library world now. <laughs> Wait till I teach my dogs to talk. You're going to clinch it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they already do talk, and you can watch their book review videos on our Facebook and Instagram um, of them, you know, talking and reviewing books. Um, Booker needs to get on page two, uh, reading a little bit more so they can be reviewing some more books. Yeah, not very productive. Not very productive. No. Paige hasn't right. done one for a while. But they're slow readers. You know they're dogs. Yeah, hard to turn the pages without thumbs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's also hard to type your book review. That's true. You mean they don't just recite them from heart? No, they like to be prepared. I understand. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm never prepared, but I understand. <laughs> but you try to be. I try. Um, yeah. What is that? John John Steinbeck's motto he used to put on his letterhead was like Latin. His 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 little symbol was a pig with wings, and it was a lumbering soul but trying to fly. Hmm. Yeah, that's me. That's what's on your business card. It will be. A lot of things on my business. It's getting crowded. It's getting right. crowded. It's like a letter side, like a piece of paper now. Well, I think if you had your business card and like uh, just the font was really small and it was just like a list of your job titles. Yeah. Yeah. Administrative assistant, seed librarian, um, quiet poet, uh, fixer. You know, it's a growing list. It is. Uh, Next time I'll have more. Okay. Well, I think that'll wrap us up for now. Okay. Um, thanks, thanks for, for having me on. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, you've been listening to Your Shelf. Or mine. I'm Becky. I'm Austin. Bye. Bye-bye. Studio time for Your Shelf or Mine is donated by KLOG, Cooking Country, and 101.5 The Wave. We at the Longview Public Library thank our local stations for their ongoing support. Your Shelf or Mine jingle is written and performed by Megan McEldry from A Song for You. Find Megan on Facebook or Twitter at Meg McEldry or online at ReverbNation.com slash Megan McEldry. That's M-E-A-G-H-A-N-M-C-E-L-D-E-R-R-Y. ReverbNation.com slash Megan McKeldry. Yeah, I love it. Uh, <laughs> really keeps me on my toes. <laughs>